Welcome to Meanwhile. In this episode, we look at two distinct aspects of creativity. Working on your own, solo, in solitude, contained, being open to your own voice, versus working collaboratively with one or more other persons in a chemical reaction kind of way, drawing out different perspectives. I'll talk about how both of these are crucial for creative processes, how they function as a kind of yin-yang that allows us to make something that didn't exist before, and how success is not so much just pursuing one of these, but figuring out what is going to be the right mix for our creative projects, for our goals, for our lives. Let's get started. This is Michael Melcher with Meanwhile, and today I'm going to get all creative on you and share some of my views on how creativity works and how you can make it work for you, and in particular, the division between doing things on your own versus collaborating with others. And they're both things that I've had a lot of thoughts on. But let me start with a little story. So I wrote this book called The Creative Lawyer, A Practical Guide to Authentic Professional Satisfaction, First published about 10 years ago, and then second edition came out a couple years ago, and it is amazing, I have to say. Described by Gretchen Rubin as surprisingly funny, it's basically a self-help, self-coaching book for lawyers. Anyway, I had this idea for a long time. I worked on it here and there, and then I finally got it together and, and kind of pushed it through. And like many writing projects, I did it on my own. I worked on things. I pushed myself. Sometimes it was fun. Sometimes I was just slaving over things. Sometimes I thought I was onto something good. Sometimes I thought, oh my God, this is going to be the most tendentious, horrible piece of crap. But eventually I finished. But at one point, I made a kind of interesting shift in how I was approaching it. So I'd done most of the manuscript. I had most of the ideas. I was probably 85 to 90% done with the content. But it occurred to me that I had a somewhat limited point of view about being a lawyer because I'd worked in a very large elite firm based in New York. And there's a whole thing in law about large law firms, what's called, not very euphoniously, big law. But that was a world I knew. But I was also aware that this was only a certain segment of the lawyer population, and that there were all other kinds of lawyers that had different experiences. So I decided I needed to talk to them. Now, I would like to say I needed to talk to them because I wanted to make sure I had the most amazing book that would really relate to everybody. But it was actually more that I was afraid I'd be criticized for leaving out large chunks of the lawyer population and getting it wrong. So anyway, I started interviewing people. I put the word out, I met friends of friends, I followed the network chain, and eventually I ended up talking to a bunch of different types of lawyers, small firm lawyers, solo practitioners, immigration lawyers, uh, people who'd bounced from one thing to another, people who'd stuck through it for a long time, and then I did the same thing for the second edition. Because here's the funny thing that happened. As soon as I started interviewing people, my mind just became alive with new ideas. I would record these interviews we'd sit down in various places, and I would just kind of run stream of consciousness. And there was something about the banter and the back and forth that unlocked new areas of creativity for me. In fact, at some point, I wasn't even so much listening to them as just using them as like my discussion or partner. Oh, so you think this, or don't you think that? And, you know, it was all about me. What can I say? Although I got lots of good stories. My lesson there was that I could have made 
my creative process a lot easier, more pleasant, and more fruitful for me had I thought to include this interview style earlier in my process. But it never occurred to me because my concept is that when you write a book, you tinker away, uh, you labor, you suck it up, and then hopefully you come out with something brilliant that just wows everyone. And they're like, oh, that Michael Melcher is such a genius. How did he do this? Or, you know, insert your own name there. This was an example where my mental model for creativity was kind of incomplete and and limiting. There was a role for the solo stuff, but there was also a role for the collaborative stuff. So today I want to talk further about how this works, because my belief is that if you're trying to do something creative, and that could be a book, it could be a blog, it could be a website, it could be a podcast, it could be, I guess, an engineering thing that engineers do. It could be any kind of goal. It could be, let's say, getting into shape. It could be become a yoga teacher, who knows, that this same duality of solo versus collaborative, of solitude versus engagement with others is is relevant, and that it's not an either or, it's a both, it's a yin and a yang, and the key isn't to pick one or the other, it's to figure out what's the best mix for us, and how can we balance out our natural tendencies so that we have access to the full range of creative expression. Let's start by laying out these two different sides, the yin and the yang. On the one hand, if we're thinking about being creative in producing something, in coming up with something, in in making something out of nothing, there is an argument that this is something you do on your own. And one of my favorite writers, Julia Cameron, who wrote a book called The Artist's Way and many other similar books, I'm pretty sure I've referenced these before, as they've had a huge impact on my life. Her point of view is that you have to do some containment. You need to have some protection because creativity doesn't start as this amazing idea that you are ready to blare out to the world. It instead starts out as like a green shoot, a little tendril pushing up from the soil, a whim, an idea, an impulse, a hmm this might be cool, or I wonder about this. And there are things that you need to develop on your own. And there are a lot of different reasons for this. The first is that a lot of creativity comes from your own voice, your voice with a capital V. You might have a view on reality. You might have an understanding of a situation. You might have an ambition that is particularly and peculiarly your own. And you want to listen to it before it gets washed out in other people's opinions, in what your family thinks, in what your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse says about it, or preventing it from being deluged by the push notifications coming from your phone and causing you to just lose your train of thought. The idea is that you got to listen and coax it along and help it be what it's going to be and not expose it to other people's opinions or criticisms. I, I get that. I think that's very true. When I had this idea for The Creative Lawyer, specifically, I was in this weird, sticky bar in France during a very low period in my life, and uh, everyone was mean to me because it was France, and I just remember leaning back to this weird-feeling wall and thinking, I should write a self-help book for lawyers, and I will call it The Creative Lawyer. I had no idea what that would mean, but it just came to me. But I wasn't really in a position to talk to anybody about it, or to defend it, or to expound it. And the other aspect of that book is that 
At a certain point, I realized that I wanted to have a different voice toward this subject. So any of you who are lawyers or know lawyers, there's a kind of lingua franca of negativity that lawyers share with one another. You can go up to any other lawyer and kind of complain or bitch or make cynical comments about being a lawyer, and they will engage you at that same level because it's just sort of a known thing. Parenthetically, a lot of other careers have this same lingua franca problem. The Foreign Service is like that. Journalism is like that. Many of you may be in careers that are like that. But anyway, I wanted to have a different voice. I wanted to have something fresher and more optimistic and funny and lighter. And I wasn't exactly sure how to get to that tone, so I needed to figure it out for myself. Another reason that Julia Cameron points out why you need to have some containment or alone time is that she compares writing in particular to reaching into the well. There's a well, you lower your bucket, and you just see what will come up, and it might surprise you. The well, I guess, is your unconscious, and this relates to her idea that you can either view creativity as something that you kind of own, that you have to create, that is all up to you, which causes a lot of stress, I can tell you, or you can see yourself as a vessel, like I exist and something's going to come through me, it doesn't belong to me, I don't own it, I may not even know what it is, it might surprise me, but if I'm patient, it will it will emerge. So what's going to emerge with you is different from what's going to emerge with me, and if you're in a group of people, what may or may not emerge will also be different. So to let that emergence happen, you got to have some alone time, you got to listen to yourself, you've got to give yourself some space. So that's all the argument that a lot of creativity depends on you being alone and being able to just quiet the world and quiet your mind enough that you can you can access this creativity and do the hard work of bringing it out. That's one side. What about the other side, the collaborative side? Well, we can also argue that creativity is chemistry, that what is an idea? An idea isn't something that I just thought of. It's probably something that has emerged from the world around me that is a sum of all the experiences I'm having that depends on the interaction of who I talk to and what the weather's like and what culture I'm in and what language I'm speaking and what stage of life I'm at. And it will grow in different ways depending on who I connect with. Creativity, therefore, depends on interactivity. It's a chemical thing. The interaction changes one person's thoughts plus another person's thoughts lead to something completely different. It's not even just A plus B. It's a more complex calculation than that. And I see this all the time. This is one reason when I started the podcast, I really wanted to do it with somebody. And I looked long and hard before I found young Michael Terrell, someone I knew from before and someone with whom I had really great, interactive, fun, combustible type conversations. We have different intelligences. What I'm good at is different from what you're good at, which is different from what somebody else is good at. So we can combine all that diverse talent in the best possible way and see what we come up with. It's like in volleyball, bump, set, over the net. Yay, we can all work together. And we look at things differently and we have different talents. I think I'm pretty verbally talented. I'm not visually talented. I'm not especially kinesthetically talented. You know, I'm good at languages. I'm funny. But if I can combine that with what other people are doing, maybe I'll get something else. Or there are even different work styles. Some people are very dogged and consistent and persistent, and other people are a bit more spontaneous and happy-go-lucky, but may have these great insights or powerful periods of intensity. Those are the two sides, right? 
And I've experienced both of them. And I'm somewhat aware now of these dynamics. And so I can try to pick and choose the ones that will work. A good example is how we started this podcast. I had had this idea of doing a podcast for a long time. Couldn't ever get off the ground. I happened to be on a couple of short radio segments a couple years ago for NPR, I can add. And I loved it. I'm like, this is me. I got to do it. I got to get on this. And I had this intuition that I'd be better if I could find a good collaborator and someone where that chemical magic would kind of work. And then I thought of Michael Terrell. We had a few conversations figuring out what we want to talk about, uh, what really floats our boat. We didn't quite know. We thought it might be about communications. And long story short, we ended up with this meanwhile concept. And then I had this really brilliant idea that what we would do would be to record eight episodes, but not tell anybody. Keep it very secret and on the down low. We would just let that happen. And only after we had finished recording and editing eight segments would we tell anybody about it. I did this because while I was super excited about this, I was also a little vulnerable. I didn't know how it would sound. I didn't know how good it would be. I didn't know what we might discover within the process. I didn't want to go out to the world and tell everybody about the podcast when I started because I suspected that if I did that, I would become so hyper-aware of how I was performing that it would start distorting what I was even saying and how I was saying it and how open I would be about myself and how playful I would be. But I knew that if I kept it a secret, it would kind of give us a bigger, more fun sandbox to play in. I use that uh, metaphor a lot these days, by the way, just playing in your sandbox and kind of doing your thing and messing around and seeing what it's like. We did that and it turned out to be exactly the right thing to do. Pretty soon after the first couple episodes, we felt we had something and we got better at it. We got to eight episodes and then we're like, okay, let's launch it. Let's see what happens because we had enough confidence in what we thought about it that we were ready to put it out to the world. We did, and then we started getting useful comments and ideas from other people that helped us take this farther. So even though I was doing it with another person, it was a good example how this policy of containment and semi-solitude got us started on one thing. I see the opposite of this a lot. I see a lot of coaches out there in the world who have this idea that they need to have a kind of social media blog type product, and I am forever getting emails that say, announcing volume one, number one of my new blog on leadership and coaching and careers and fulfillment and whatever. And each time I just sort of sigh. I don't unsubscribe because I don't want them to feel sad or dislike me. But I'm also pretty sure there will not be a volume one, number two, or number three or number four. Only the rare person seems to keep these up. And I wish that they would just focus on creating a bunch of issues ahead of time, and then launching it once they have those and know that they really have something rather than this big public to do. Thus, in the case of the podcast, I was better off starting off with this solitudinous type attitude. But I've done it the other way as well. And just recently, I had a couple examples of this. I may have alluded to this book that I'm writing that I said was very high concept and I was being all secret about the title. Well, here's the title. 20 minutes a day, colon, how to stop waiting for a great career to happen and start making it happen, or alternately, 20 minutes a day, colon, a career wellness plan for the rest of your life, or 20 minutes a day, colon, 
the new approach to achieving career satisfaction and success. Yay! I've already copyrighted all this. I'm so efficient. Officially, even though we know that copyright is inherent in the inception, but I registered it just just because I thought I'd be sensible. This idea actually comes from a chapter in The Creative Lawyer where I talk about how you break down these various things that are important to your career progress, many of which have very little to do with your actual job, and then find ways to work on them in discrete chunks. And I'll talk about this more later. But anyhow, I have been laboring over this or thinking I should labor over this for really quite some time, more than two years. So I don't really want to go into much more detail. It took me a long time to get the right angle, the right title. And the thing is, I actually know this content. It's not like I have to invent it. It's what I do every day. I have a huge base of stuff I can draw on. And yet I wasn't really doing that much work on it. And my friends were all, you need to get that damn book done. What's your deal, Melcher? And I just pled no contest. Yeah, I have kids, I have a business, etc. But, you know, if you're going to write, you write. You don't just find excuses. Anyhow, two things happened that have recently led to a great amount of progress. The first thing is that I did a webinar for Stanford Business School alumni about this topic. And I was a little anxious about the webinar because, you know, it's all interwebby and technological and could I really pull it off? And it's different from being in a group. And I ended up doing it from Mexico City, from a somewhat iffy Wi-Fi connection. But it was a colossal success. And uh, there was an audience around the world and it was super fun. And people seemed to really get a lot of value out of it. And I was able to really use my ideas effectively and help the needy alumni of Stanford Business School who, notwithstanding their nice credentials, still have lots of issues. Then later, someone from the alumni office wrote this article about my thoughts, essentially just quoting me for 20 paragraphs, and sent that out. And I've gotten tons of response, and also like a lot of positive acclaim. And it just made me all excited that this is a good idea and not something that I'm kind of bored with. So that was one way that by engaging with the rest of the world about something, it then washed back and stimulated my own creativity. The second thing is I decided on kind of a whim to get an illustrator, a graphics person, to see if I could jazz up some of the graphic materials that go with this um, and give me some cover ideas because this is not something that I naturally do. I, I really have very little capability at this moment in time. Maybe one day I'll develop it, but it's just not the way I normally approach things to think of designs and how that will work. But I knew this guy in Peru named Ayrton Gonzalez, who I found earlier through a website called 99designs, which is this way you have a contest to create designs and you get all these great submissions from around the world and it's really super amazing and fun. And I'd used this for a different work project and he was just great. And so I wrote to him and said, hey, can you help me out here? Blah, blah, blah. Sure. Con mucho gusto. Sent him a bunch of stuff. And man, that dude, 48 hours later, had turned this stuff around and sent me these really thrilling looking things. And then I showed those to some other people who are good at, you know, color and font. And they gave me ideas. And all of a sudden, I have these like fantastic covers that I'm looking at as I speak to you. All different, all cool. Lots of kind of cool clock themes. And I am just like psyched to keep moving forward. Plus, I now have my friends at Stanford Business School, and I have my designer person in Peru who are constantly saying, okay, uh, what's next? Have you looked at the last thing I sent you? 
uh, give me more instructions, which creates additional accountability for me. And so the ice flow is melting. It's been dislodged. We're ready to have a torrent of creativity. And in a matter of weeks or maybe months, this whole thing will be done. Moral of the story, in this case, moving from my solo example of creativity to a more interactive, engaged, mutually dependent one, really move things along. Ta-da! That is basically the gist of it. When you are trying to do something creative, create some type of change, envision something, have some goal, think about these two different poles of the solo, solitude, on my own, listen to myself pole, and the collaborative, engaged, interactive, chemical reaction poll. And see if you can draw on both. Here are a few tips for your homework. Think of some type of creative project or some goal you have. First, let's go to the solo side. So quiet your mind. Be alone. Turn off your push notifications. Better yet, turn off your Wi-Fi. Better yet, leave your damn phone at home and go away somewhere. Let yourself just be with yourself. Create your own tracking device. You can use a spreadsheet. Decide how much time you're going to spend on something every day. Write it down. Don't tell anybody. Let your little spreadsheet grow with all the productive pages or minutes or what have you. You're working on it. Find your own metrics. Put put on your headphones. Take yourself away from things. Create an interior space for what you're working on. And either don't tell anybody about it or pick one creative accountability partner that you will tell this to. And tell them what their role is here. Like, your role is to listen to me, or your role is to encourage me, or your role is to get on my ass, or your role is to tell me why this is amazing and important and to turn off Bravo TV and work on this. But just one. Those are some examples of how we can bring out the alone side. Okay, now let's look at the collaborative side. What can you do there? Well, first of all, you bring in new people. And the way I would look at it is that you bring in new energies or new intelligences. So people who just have a different set of skills or capabilities from your own, you ask them specific questions. You ask them to weigh in on certain things. You might ask them to do a particular part of your creative project or something that will motivate you. It might be somebody who could read it, somebody who could look at your painting. It could be your designer friend in Peru who can turn around pages really quickly. But you can figure out somebody who can contribute some type of creative energy or perspective or just an opportunity for you to talk out your ideas in a way that is going to be fulsome and fruitful. You could send out a survey. I I did this. I identified a number of people who were kind of behind me on this project, and I created a little Zoomerang or whatever it's called survey. Survey Monkey, is that what it's called now? Sent that out, and I got lots of responses really quickly, and it gave me a lot of ideas. You can work on something specific together. You can go on a walk together. Anything that just gets you out of your head and gets you over this idea that this all depends on me doing it by myself. Invite other people in with you. You may need to assign them particular roles, or you may just freestyle it. Therefore, your homework is, number one, think about how can you isolate yourself in a positive way How can you draw forth your own voice? And number two is, how can you collaborate in a specific way? Not asking for advice, not asking for permission. We went over that in an earlier episode, but just some type of back and forth, some type of chemical interaction. Doesn't have to be dramatic, can be small, but something that's not all up to you. All right, creatives out there, time to go for it. I look forward to hearing about all your progress and experiences. This is Michael Melcher with Meanwhile saying, love you so much. I'll talk to you later. 
Mano Chao say, wah wah wah, wah wah wah, wah wah wah. Nico Mano Chao say, baby. Baby on the bus says, wah wah wah, wah wah wah, wah wah wah. Baby on the bus says, wah wah wah, all day. Daddy on the bus. Daddy on the bus says, shh Daddy on the bus says, I'm under a lot of pressure, so shh. All day long. All done. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. Up above the world so Okay, last one. Who loves Rico? Daddy. Who loves Mateo? Daddy.